Finally, the time had come to speak with one voice. We've gathered here tonight around the fire. I shall continue tomorrow. You must continue now. W Radio. Your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 104 for the week of February 1st, 2009. It's time for another Top 10 segment, and Tim Foster is going to join me once again as we take a look at our list of top 10 things in Walt Disney World that are better at night. Experiencing the parks and resorts at night is completely different than during the day, and we're going to look at some things that you might just enjoy even more after the sun goes down. I often try and bring you some unique interviews with individuals whose names or faces you might not know but whose work you might often enjoy and appreciate. This week, I welcome in just such a guest. He is Ronald Cohey, feature animator, artist, and currently a member of the Disney Design Group in Walt Disney World. A longtime park enthusiast, he shares his story of how he came to work for Disney, films and projects he's worked on, insight into what his experience has been like, advice for others looking to join the company, and even some hints as to a few things that may be coming next. I'll answer more of your emails this week, including questions about the Millennium Village, Dive Quest, refillable mugs, and of course, questions about food that cover opposite ends of this dining spectrum, including dieting in Walt Disney World, to where to find some special ice cream. Last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest winner will be announced before I give you yet another set of questions and prizes in this week's new contest. I'll have some announcements and play back some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. For this week's Top 10 segment, we wanted to look at Walt Disney World in a whole new light, or lack of it, as the case may be, as we want to examine things in Walt Disney World that are simply better at night. Because we talk about how many attractions and even locations are completely different experiences at night as opposed to the daytime, and there are some that rise to the level of even being better after the sun goes down. So joining me this week is a man who some might say looks better at night than he does during the day. My man, Mr. Celebrations Magazine, Tim Bananas Foster. Well, I gave you two minutes before you pulled out the I look better at night <laughs> bit. That was really good. Bananas open oh, the dessert. Bana- I get it. I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about food, but I was thinking, you know, kind of like Chris Berman with the, uh, with the Fosters. I think- I think you broke a record for food getting it into the conversation. <laughs> but notice who I did not bring up. Yes, I yes I did notice that. <laughs> Although you kind of just did there, didn't you? I will say I will not speak the name of Samantha Brown. So Okay, good. 
All right, so <laughs> before we get into our list um, <clears throat> and the many honorable mentions that are to follow, <laughs> uh. we uh, we agreed right off the bat, even though we, we don't know what's on each other's list, we agreed right off the bat that we were going to automatically eliminate two attractions because we've discussed these at length in the past. And the first is the Jungle Cruise because we all agree it's very, very different at night and arguably better depending on how you look at it pardon the pun, um, and your skipper, of course, and the Haunted Mansion, and not the attraction itself, obviously, because that does not change really at night, but the approach, the exterior, and and the queue are are just, you know, to use a a fosterism, they're downright spooky at night. (laughs) They are. Yeah, those are instant Hall of Fame classics. Yeah, and I think... And and we mention them quite a few times as being better in the dark anyway, so... True. And, and we get invariably, emails. I'm sure there will be there will be overlap on our lists. So, um, so I'm going to go first <laughs> to okay. try and avoid any overlap. <laughs> um, and the first one on my list is uh, is somewhat general, but it's World Showcase because. All right, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute, boy. I got to crash that one off my list. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, you got it in. Well, look for me, and I think many other people wandering, or in my case, grazing, as I might call it. Um, at the promenade at night is simply wonderful um, with the pavilions illuminated and dinner time is approaching, which you know also means dessert is approaching. Uh, obviously, illuminations, the, the background music, Spaceship Earth, and some of the other pavilions lit up in the distance. Uh, I just think World Showcase is, is spectacular. And, and over the past maybe five, ten years ago or so, I've really gained a, a greater appreciation for just spending what can be hours um, wandering the promenade at night? Well, I'm going to cheat and kind of hang on to yours for a little bit before I get to mine. I, I will agree with you, Illuminations is much better at night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good call. And, I, and I, I'm going to tell you, you didn't say it, but if you were, I was going to mention that the funnel cakes actually are the same <laughs> as they are during the daytime. I, I, listen, I will tell you something. Certain but items, yeah, yeah, like, like funnel serious, cakes... But- and turkey legs and hamburgers, I know they're the same. Every they taste different depending on where um, the turkey legs in Frontierland are better than the turkey legs on Future World East. I don't know why they just taste better there. Much like the funnel cakes taste better in Adventure uh, in Adventureland. Well, I guess you could eat it in Adventureland, but they taste better coming from Sleepy Hollow Refreshments in Liberty Square. Slightly better than what you get on the Promenade and World Showcase. This goes into the if you say so, Lou, category. <laughs> and here come the emails. What are you talking about? It's so much better on World Showcase. Uh, real quick with World Showcase, I had that on my list too. Uh, the one thing I noticed real quick before I move on to mine is, um, especially getting ready for World Showcase, I just get a, a greater sense of sophistication walking around World Showcase at night. Um, obviously, it's darker, the lights are heavy. You see people have, a, uh, have their wine walking around and... Um, it just it just seems a lot more elegant, and that's all I have to say about World Showcase. But um, my next one is also, I think, a rather obvious one that I'm going to go for, and that's Main Street. And um, got you off the list. <laughs> see, I knew I was going to get that one in before you got to that one, so I knew that had to be on your list. But it was actually an honorable um, mention. But okay. <laughs> uh, but to me, it, that's it's definitely a different place at night, and and for me, it's much better. I. It just as the lights come on, it, it turns into a more of a, a carnival, old time amusement park atmosphere to me, anyway. And and I I remember back to my days going to um, 
a great adventure, the Six Flags Park that's in our area back, you know, before I discovered some other bigger and better park down south somewhere. Um, but it reminded me of those days when the, when the Midway was lit up, uh, you know, all the rides are lit up, and and uh, I don't know, it seems more magical, it seems more fun, um, but to me, it's a, it, there's a lot more to Main Street at night than there is during the day. It's a lot of fun during the day, too, but at night, it takes on a whole new atmosphere. I agree, and I think there's different things that you can see on Main Street at night as opposed to during the day. Uh, while you might not get some of the, the streetmosphere characters, there, there are other elements. Uh, and I'll save some of my other comments about Main Street because I do want... I, it, it ties in in one of my other honorable mentions. But I will say, when I thought about Main Street at night, I instantly thought of Disneyland's Main Street as, as well. And I had to mention that because there's something very, very special, I think, not only about ours, but I think the Disneyland one, because it's it's so much smaller in a good way and it's so much closer to you and so very quaint. Uh, there's something about the Disneyland Main Street that I that I absolutely love, um, you know, equally as much as I do our own in Walt Disney World. So I, I like that you referred to the Magic Kingdom as ours. I like that. I do. I feel I feel a sense of it. Well, you know what? Because it's home. It is home. Yes. So um, the second one on my list is also very broad, and uh, it's actually Disney's Animal Kingdom, and I, I think that. Wandering that park and exploring that park uh, at night, um, it, it, you know, Everest it, from the back row and the sounds of, of the Tree of Life music, the smells of the Yak and Yeti in the distance, um, Harambe it, it, by the fort behind Tusker House, the, the tree lit up in the distance. Uh, it's a c- completely different feel, obviously much, much cooler than it is. Animal Kingdom gets gets a little warm during, during the day. But, a little uh, bit. I, I love trying to get to that last ride on Everest that I can at night and then taking as much time as the cast members will allow me to wander through Animal Kingdom and through some of the trails and it, it's there's a, there's a sense of mystery about it even more so that you get at night versus during the day I get the sense you've been shooed out of that park on a number of occasions by that last comment I have been um, <laughs> kindly asked to make my way towards the exit could you please hurry <laughs> Lou, the um, popcorn stand is closed. Move along. Move well, along. that'll get you out of the park. <laughs> um, I'm going to get away from the parks for my next one. And I was trying to think of, um, obviously, a lot of the resorts take on a different feeling at night. Uh, but to me, the one that changes the most and really becomes a lot more dramatic, if you will, is the Wilderness Lodge. And... To me, it, it, even when you're inside, and uh, I think obviously because of the grand height of the lobby and, and the windows, you when you're in the lobby at night, you get the sense that it's night, even though you're inside. And especially when you're walking around the grounds, uh, whether you're heading to the boat dock or heading back from the boat dock, at, um, coming back from the Magic Kingdom, or just walking around the trails, the, um, the whole Pacific Northwest thing becomes a lot more apparent when the sun goes down and to me I really feel like I'm out in the forgive me the wilderness uh, uh, when I, as I'm wandering around the lodge and it's really spectacular at night in my opinion I agree but I have one question for you um, why how many times have you been out in the wilderness at night just so you have a frame of reference to compare well to. <laughs> well uh, I've been camping at the Jersey Shore oh it's just like um, <laughs> you know, you know. There's scary things out there. 
There are, and um, most of the time well, they're, they're in locks, but If I were to imagine what it would be like <laughs> in the great Pacific Northwest at night with the bears and the and the wolves and stuff, that would be it. That's be okay. And now, what, everybody who really lives out there can write in and tell me how it's nothing like that at all. Here's I'll tell you what it's like. So. That's uh, Tim Foster. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very happy you said Wilderness Lodge because not only do I agree, but it's not what I had on my list. Because uh-huh. we started talking about the resorts, and I'm like, oh, man, I have to think of something really quick. Because I, too, went to the resorts, and um, I went to sort of a resort area, really. And it, it's the Boardwalk and Yacht and Beach Club resorts. Uh, the Boardwalk at night is beautiful, especially when you're looking ac- across the lake um, from the Yacht or Beach Club. It, it's alive. It's fun. There's so much going on. There's music playing. I think, really, the view from either side of the lake, the Yacht and Beach Club at night, with the lighthouse across the water is just wonderful. Um, the beach club on the beach, I've talked about this in the past, watching movies on the beach, you know, making s'mores, there's the food aspect. Uh, go to the marina at night, take a ride on Breathless 2, you know, my favorite. Storm Along Bay is awesome at night with the windmill and the lights and so much going on. I've got to say it, beaches and cream, No Way Jose, nice way to end off the night. Or you go to Jelly Rolls, you know, the Jelly Rolls right there on the boardwalk. And, you know, speaking of we've got to get more people over at the Atlantic Dance Hall. Awesome venue, always empty. Got to figure out a way to get more people over there. But uh, boardwalk, <laughs> yacht, beach club, that whole area at night. Uh, if you're looking for something to do outside the parks, you, you can easily make an evening out of wandering and strolling uh, around the, the promenade there. So let me ask you, when, I, when I'm coming back to the yacht club from Illuminations... And I'm going by storm along bay. You, you're the dad that I see shivering in your bathing suit, dripping, running across to get up on the slide when it's like 1030 at night. That's you, right? No, 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 no. That's not me. If you look past storm <laughs> along bay into the arcade or into beaches and cream, ah, that's okay. the guy. I'm that uh, guy in there. Oh, of course. You're at beaches and cream. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where will I go next? You know what? I have a very unusual one on my list and I'm, I'm going to get it out of the way and I know usually you're the guy who goes now stay with me folks <laughs> but it's my turn to say stay with me folks on this one um, my next one is actually the bus slash the monorail slash the launch boat and I think all of those obviously take on a different feel at night and to me the monorail does become a lot more magical when you're riding in the dark, um, and especially as you tour through Future World at Epcot when all the lights are on and so forth, especially at Christmas when you go through the Lights of Winter display, which is phenomenal. But th- the thing that's really extra magical about it in a way, and, and this is more along the lines of the buses, is when you're, you're done your day at the park, you're leaving, you get on the bus, they shut the door and they turn the lights out and you just sit there and relax and reflect on your day. Now, I will grant you, this works when you're staying at like, oh, we'll say the Yacht Club or the Swan when you leave the Magic Kingdom and there's your bus waiting for you. I understand this really isn't a magical experience when you're staying at the All-Stars and you've got five loads of buses of people waiting it on you and everyone's grumpy. I understand it really isn't that magical at that time, but... Um, just the whole idea of leaving the park at the end of the day. It's nighttime. You get to relax. The lights are out. Um, something very mystical and magical about that to me. 
Uh, I told you to stay with me. I told you. Listen, I was with you. (laughs) You had me at monorail. You lost me a little bit on the bus. Um, Next time you go down, I'm going to give you a double stroller and, you know, a uh, (laughs) a very young... There's a lot of caveats (laughs) in there. You have to be alone or with, you know, a loved one. You have to have timed it right so the bus pulled up right when you got there. There's only five other people on the bus. And I know I knocked out about 95% of the listeners right there with that. And it's going to stop at your resort first, right in front of your room. But I will tell you that on my honorable mention list, which is now getting shorter and shorter, thankfully, I absolutely had first and foremost, and almost made it onto my list, were the watercraft, specifically from the Magic Kingdom to the Grand Floridian, the Polynesian, and Wilderness Lodge. At night, you want to, I mean, it's an add-on experience. It is. It's so beautiful getting on the waterways and if you time it just right you can also catch the electrical water pageant on your way back very very different vantage point that you would get it from anywhere else seeing it right there on the water and uh, especially if you're staying at the Polynesian you stop at the Grand Floridian first you get a really nice boat ride or or when you head over to uh, Wilderness Lodge at night it's just it's absolutely beautiful I I love it I love it let me tell you how you time that wrong I can't remember if I've told this story before if I do well, you know, you can edit it out if you need to, but there was one time we were heading back to the Wilderness Lodge, and the electric water pageant must have been running, and it was a, wait for it, it was a dark and stormy night. Not really stormy, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was cloudy, and I think it was lightly raining or something. For, for some reason, I, I think because of the water pageant, we had to detour all the way around the Discovery Island island out there, and it is dark back there. Obviously, there's there's no lights, and we we must have been going around for 10, 15 minutes going around. And that that qualified. Hey, when Halloween rolls around again, I qualified as one of my scariest moments ever. But <laughs> but it was still it was different. It was very different. So and, and that's the thing. Even if you've done it before, you never know. You're going to get a different experience, and that's and that's the whole point of the list. You're going to get a different experience at night doing some of these things than you will during the day. Uh, you might not be quaking in your boots much like Tim was but you will get a different experience. I was scared. So it's, you know, our our lists are sort of paralleling each other in that our our third one was a resort. Our fourth one is a, come on, people, work with me here because that's exactly what I was going to say for my fourth one. And if you would have said this, that would have been a little creepy. Weird. A little creepy. Um, But my fourth one, and and please feel free to send your short jokes to lou at wdwradio.com, is the Ewok Village by Star Tours. It's so easy. Go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I left it open for you. I mean, I was giving no, it to you. That, that was a softball. I'll let you go. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's lit up so well. You can hear the Ewoks and the music in the distance. And if you sort of go underneath by where the Fast Pass machines, there's, little, there's, there's sound playing. And you've got the Adat Walker in the distance. Um, again, the Studios 2 is great at night. But you got, you know, Tatooine traders behind it all lit up, you know, with that whole sort of episode four feel to it um love it I, I love the ewok village and again the attraction itself has nothing to do with this it's just sort of wandering past um you know the village wow ewoks weren't in episodes but but ta- but the little the building like Tata- tatooine was an episode four. i know i know um hey am i on my last one you are you are, oh. and that's why this is not going to be a 55-minute segment of Top 20s. <laughs> Nutsy, because I have four, and I love them all. Hmm, which way am I going to go here? Uh, Just do what Lou does, the honorable mention thing. It's such an right. easy out. Well, 
uh, I'm gonna pick this one. This is because this is actually a very fond memory of mine. Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit when we were talking about World Showcase, but I'm going to the other side of the park and I'm going to talk about Future World. And um, it's a fond memory of mine. And again, I might have told this story before, but when my wife and I first went to Disney together, we went to Epcot at night. And it was the first time I'd been there, and it was. Um, absolutely magical. It wasn't very crowded. Of course, the lights are on, uh, the music's playing, and I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, and it, it's just really neat walking through Future World because it really takes on a totally different appearance at night. All of the pavilions uh, look very different from the Imagination Pavilion, the Land Pavilion. Um, and uh, the one thing I'm amazed at, too, is the um, within the, the Future World Plaza, you have the um, the fiber optic light pattern swirling in the ground in front of interventions. And I mention it, I almost hesitate to mention it because I think, well, everybody knows about that. And I'm sure most everybody does know about it. But I'm continually surprised when I'm walking with people and I take them over that way. I say, look at the ground. Well, I never noticed that before. I don't know why you didn't notice it before. It seems rather obvious. But um, obviously that's something you can only enjoy at nighttime. And uh, I still get a lot of kick out of seeing people I haven't seen that before. Uh, and that's that's all I have to say about it. I, I thought I, you were going to I thought you were going to add in something there. Like, no, I, no either, I do so. agree with you and you know that's the thing. There are there are a lot of things I think Tim that we or people that go a lot take for granted. Um, some of the simple things like that you might consider something simple. Um, there are things that I've heard people say that, you know, you, you look at yourself like, God, how did you not know that? But, you know, that that's the point. Um, there, there's so much more that we need to help introduce people to and, and make them realize that are there. And it's a simple thing like the lights in the ground that so many of us find so cool. A little bit of added magic on the way out. So, And I and add there, it's, it's kind of nice to, as it gets towards Illuminations time, um, assuming the parks aren't that crowded to begin with, it, it's really nice walk around Future World because everybody else is back in world showcase watching and you can just wander through and enjoy the ambiance what i will say is that as i'm approaching the the last one on my list i'm a little surprised tim i'm a little that surprised. i didn't say one no you didn't oh. say there were no attractions no specific you know attractions what? on this list I, however I, I, I have two on my list but i have however one. i am going to uh, i'm going to put a stop to that right here ah. right now um, better be one of the two i had I bet you the first one I mentioned um, is probably one on your list. And I, and I was going to say Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Um, I think between the the lighting of the mountain, if you time it just right, the castle in the distance, the, the dancing girls in the saloon. Um, but what? instead, you never saw the dancing girls. Nobody sees the dancing girls in the saloon. You can only see them at night. Um, if you, well, it's you hard get- to see when your eyes are closed and you're screaming like a little child. <laughs> Right, it's not me. Well, you know what? Why don't you have your daughter tell you about it? Because as you're going through Tumbleweed, if you look to the left, you know if that saloon's a rocking, don't come a knocking, and you can see you can see the dancing girls uh, upstairs, you know, dancing around. But that's actually not what I had fifth on my list. Um, A little more. Well, but but since you went into such detail, that qualifies as number five on your list. It does not. It was I was qualifying my number five that this is what I was not going to listen. See, I should have pulled. Who's the attorney here? (laughs) That's true. Go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an attraction that's a little bit more your speed and arguably one of my two favorites in all of Walt Disney World, 
And that is the Wedway People Mover slash oh. Kids, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. That was on my list. Paging Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. Oh. Your party from Saturn has arrived. Please give them a ring. I That's love so the TTA funny. I laugh night. every time. I love the TTA. That ride never, ever, ever gets old for me. And the only ride, the only attraction I make sure that I do every time I go to Disney. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round trip Super Skyway Tour. Welcome aboard, TTA Travelers. We hope you enjoy Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. Except for the times you're going in the next few months, I guess, right? I will find a way. I will just, <laughs> I will ride the speed ramp up and down if I have to. <laughs> No, I, I had that. I had the whole of Tomorrowland on my list, and that in particular. So, so um, Swiss Family Treehouse—that's my honorable mention. So. Okay. Well, that, okay. Well, listen, Tim. If you're going to have an honorable mention, so that wasn't I guess, really that wasn't really my honorable mention, though. Because well, I, I will um, <laughs> I, I will follow along because when you were talking about Main Street, um, I, I thought about some of the other lands in the Magic Kingdom, and I think each one there's something special about it at night. But I think particularly. The west side of the Magic Kingdom, Main Street, that transition to Adventureland with the torches, even Frontierland, all have a very, very different feel to it, um, especially closer to the end of the night when there's not a lot of people there. I think Adventureland's a little more foreboding. The facades of Frontierland are, are very, very well lit, beautiful at night. Swiss Family Treehouse absolutely could have been in the top 10 list because that's a very different experience at night. Which I think we've talked about. You know, I'm throwing in there, honorable mention, I think this is another obvious one that we didn't throw in there. And I thought you were going to get to it when we were talking about Main Street, and that's Cinderella Castle itself. Very good. And, yeah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, spectacular during the day, obviously, but but stunningly, I'm going to say breathtaking again. Where's the thesaurus when I need it? Um, but amazing at night. I, I, I swear there are colors I see that I don't think I'd ever seen before in my life as it, as it shifts through its greens and purples and blues and oranges. Um, and, and obviously it, uh, during the holiday season when the dream lights come on, that, that actually will bring a tear to your eye and it has brought many a tear to my eye. But um, I think that, that, that probably on my list was the granddaddy of them all. And I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Again, I tried to stay from, away from something that I thought was going to be so obvious. It was just so easy. But what did we say? It might not be as obvious as we think. It, it might is. not. And, and if we didn't say it, you know the emails. Like, well, what about the castle, guys? Jeez. I know. I, well, honestly, I mean, all of all, all the park icons. Um, right. And I actually had them on my list. And it almost made it to my list. The Sorcerer's Hat. And before <laughs> the hate mail starts coming in for people that don't like it, I think at night when it's lit up, it, it's warmer. Um, it, it's more attractive. Uh, it's a true, you know, weenie. It's definitely, a, you know, one of Walt's weenies. It beckons you towards the end of Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and I think the lighting and the paint on there is just spectacular. Um, and I got to just tell you that a, a bunch of resorts also come to, to life at night. So I, I think Port Orleans, Riverside, you got Yeehaw Bob, the pool over at Pop Century, the Polynesian, the pools and the beach with the volcano, that whole area there. And uh, last but not least, um, Food just tastes better at night. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, I forgot to add Wilderness Lodge. My daughter will, will 
reprimand if I don't say this, one of her fondest memories was swimming at night and going down the slide in the dark. One of her all-time favorite Disney moments. And I would be remiss if I did not mention it. And she ate after that, right? Didn't she go get something to eat when she was done? Yeah, she had funnel cakes and spinach pie, Luke. <laughs> well, as always, Tim, not only was this fun, but I'm sure there are things that people are screaming in their cars or at their iPods or in their cubicles <laughs> at saying, how did you, you idiots leave off blank? So, um, as always, I invite you to... to uh, Send hate mail to Tim or call in uh, things that we left <laughs> off the uh, off the list, maybe into the voicemail. Add your own to uh, to the top ten things that are just better in Walt Disney World at night. So I'm sure there are things that we left off, t- uh, things that might have been on your list. So I invite you to call yours in to the voicemail, toll-free, 888-703-2171. Also, you can also go and post them over in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And, uh, Tim, this always is a blast, but before I let you go... Um, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to back over that bus at night right over Wait, you. Wait, I wasn't. Ex- this isn't on my script. Yeah, I know right, it's not. Ahead. But uh, do, you, do you think we can give anybody, everybody, a little hint about Celebrations Magazine issue three? Can we? I think we can. A little. You commit yeah. to a date. I will climb through this phone and strangle you. But <laughs> <laughs> They will be in your mailboxes on... Lou will be mailing them on... <laughs> Now, uh, hey, it's shaping up to be real fun. Here, um, well, here's what we got. We have a uh, in in uh, light of the news of Space Mountain going down for quite a lengthy time and taking the TTA with it. Gosh darn it! And and my coincidentally finding out that uh, this year is the 40th anniversary of our landing on the moon. Uh, we're going to take a look to the future. So we're the next issue celebrations is going to have a Tomorrowland theme to it um, we're going to look at some history some behind scenes some attractions that sort of thing uh, we're also going to have an article on the uh, don't Imagineers don't give it all away don't give it all away alright that's you know, enough then there you go so you dropped out Imagineers so now they're wondering <laughs> <laughs> well more more magic from Lou Mangiello let's leave it at that was I supposed to write something for Can this I leave one? it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm still waiting for it. Now, since I started, can I give away that piece? Or Go ahead, give it away. Give it a secret. Uh, no, we have a piece on Imagineers' tributes to long lost but not forgotten attractions that you'll find throughout the parks. And, and I actually enjoyed reading that very much. I must Why say. do you say that with surprise? Like, wow, I actually enjoyed reading that. As if it well, was, you expected it to be painful otherwise. When one out of ten of yours makes it in the magazine, <laughs> I'm surprised when the one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> now it was. That was a lot of fun, uh, especially with the pictures, look, looking at all these things. I think everyone will get a kick out of that one. Awesome. And yeah. um, and there's more, but you're going to have to wait. Lots more to come. You're going to have to wait <laughs> not too much longer. Not too long. It's, not it's too almost, long. It's, um, it, it is well on, on, underway. Um, and, Tim, I know you are doing a beautiful job on the layout and artwork once again. I will omit the easy Lou teaching you Photoshop joke here. But um, don't forget to, uh, to see more of Tim's beautiful work. Head on over to GuideToTheMagic.com. There he's got Guide to the Magic for Kids and like six other books in the pipeline. And uh, always, always fun doing these somewhat unique and creative top ten lists. Yeah. And you know what, folks? If you guys have an idea for a top ten you want us to cover, Please email share. me. Please email us and then let <laughs> us know. So thanks again, buddy. Thanks.
I talk all the time about how it's the people that make Walt Disney roll. And when we see firsthand and often recognize the frontline cast members, you know, those that walk the parks and work the resorts and even man the phones, so much of the magic goes on backstage from people whose names we may never know, but whose talents and work we have come to love, respect, and eagerly anticipate. And one of those people is my next guest. And in my continuing series, where I want to spotlight current or former cast members, Imagineers, and even some names that may be very familiar to you, I also want to bring to your attention some of those people whose work, stories, and personal journeys I want to share as well. So I want to introduce you to Ron Cohey, feature animator, artist, and most importantly, park enthusiast, and now works for the Disney Design Group. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lou. It's great to have you here. And as you might be able to hear, you know, what better place to sit and chat than, than right here at Disney's Hollywood Studios, you know, the park whose mission was and, and is really to continue to, to celebrate, as Michael Eisner said at the dedication, you know, that state of mind, really, where people dream and wonder and imagine and a place where illusion and reality are fused by technological magic. So I, I picked this place of all to get together and do the interview, partially because this was once and now still is your home, but also because, uh, you know, I wanted to be immersed in the atmosphere and talk to you a little bit about, you know, your background and how you started with Disney. So tell us a little about maybe your educational background and, and how you got started with the Disney company. Well, uh, first of all, thanks so much for this again. I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm so thankful for everything. Um, I got... I got started, I, I grew up in California, in Southern California, and I um, got accepted in 1992 to the California Institute of the Arts, uh, also known as CalArts. Um, I was really excited to get accepted into there. Walt Disney founded that school, and um, I even managed to get a small uh, scholarship from Roy Disney, <laughs> and uh, uh, things like that. Just so you know, the level of my being impressed First was CalArts was high, now the partial scholarship just escalated. Let, wait, I'm going to stop for a second because let, let's sort of make people understand, you know, what CalArts is because so many great people came out of there. And it's a school that, you know, you're admitted not based on how well you do on your, your SAT scores and, and things like that. It's, it's about your creative talent and your future potential and people like Chuck Jones and Tim Burton and Brad Bird from Disney I mean these are some of the people that have come out of Cal Arts. Yeah Brad Bird and, and well, Glenn Keane um, oh gosh there's a, there's a ton of them um, well John Lasseter um, anyway uh, even uh, live action people uh, actors like Ed Harris uh, like you said Tim Burton well he started in animation Pee Wee Herman <laughs> he went there too um, anyway it's, it's a great school um uh, it, it's 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 one of a kind. It's really I, I don't I don't have the right adjective for it, but um, that was a, a blast. That was a great school to go to, and it it's a totally different approach. It's definitely really good for the animation um, side of things and and for that industry because it's 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 definitely focused on the passion of of you know basically of acting. Uh, Walt's I think Walt's intent in in uh, creating that school was to get all the arts under one roof. I, I think he combined two different art schools, Chenard and uh, I, I'm, I'm at a loss right now, but uh, the idea being you could get everybody under one roof and you could just go around and, and get influenced by other art forms instead of being so, you know, segregated in your own thing. Um, it was funny, though, because we... 
you know, lunchtime or something, we'd, we'd, you know, the animators tend to, tended to stay to one table in the cafeteria and stuff, and, and you'd get looks from people. <laughs> it hasn't changed, but you'd get looks from the other people that, that I, I equally respect, but, you know, people that are always, like, dressed in black and taking acting courses and stuff like that, and, and that's, that's fantastic. But sometimes the ones that are really serious that look at you like, oh, you think life's a big joke, don't you? <laughs> you know? It sounds like high school all over again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But we, you know, we'd every Thursday I think while I was going there we'd have you know Simpsons night. You know we'd go watch the Simpsons, and I started, I started doing Homer Simpson's voice at that time. But um, anyway, I'm sorry. You know you're not allowed to do that in this park ever again. <laughs> so tell me, tell us about the journey, sort of going from CalArts to working to Disney, and really, Ron, was this you know was working for Disney sort of the child of dream, or is this you know you happen to see it in in the paper, and, and this is where you ended up? Oh, yeah, Disney. Well, I grew up, just like most everybody who loves Disney, I grew up with it since I was, you know, very little. Uh, I was drawing since, they they told me that I was drawing since I was about two. And the stuff that I really got into when I was drawing sort of started leaning towards Disney in particular around junior high. Uh, So when I was, I don't know what age I was around that time, but I guess I can do the math. But um, I, I really started... Well, actually, what really got me was Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? That was 1988. Okay, so I was 16. <laughs> One thing that happened in animation and, and everything with Disney is that I started not measuring in years, but in what film came out that year. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that was during Mermaid. Or, that, oh, no, that was during this or that. I didn't get to work on Mermaid. But um, I, I basically just fell in love with all of it all through my life. I went to Disneyland since I was a little kid all the time, uh, you know, once a year or so, just like most kids around there every couple years or so and I just have so many memories of the park and I wasn't there often enough to know every inch of it till I was in high school around that time (laughs) so cute I love watching the the kids here Um, around that time I got an annual pass and um, that's when everything just went crazy because the first year I think I went like 60 times and I don't know I don't know if that's a lot or a little for pass holder but I think it was like a, a third of a year or a fourth of a year. And um, I that's when I started to really just deeply fall in love with the theme park. And and uh, at that point, too, it was that feeling like, oh, I remember this when I was little. I remember that when I was little. And I started thinking, you know what? What am I going to do when I grow up, <laughs> if I ever grow up? I think I want to... Somebody's got to pass this along. Someone's got to continue doing this and that's when I found out that you know this whole Disney organization people do this for a living they do all of this for a living the films the parks the attractions the uh, shows somebody's got to do it and they do it I just think it's you know it's not like it's not like I'm a doctor saving someone's life or anything but I just feel like I've been given something so nice when, when I was a kid and I had the privilege to be able to go to, to Disney or see Disney movies a lot of kids can't do that at all. So there's something really special about this, and I think I... I, well, First of all, it's just great to be able to have a job doing it, but also it's great to have the feeling that, you know, I did that. I, I did that uh, drawing for this or that, and, and this, this kid's wearing that shirt now, and look at them, they're smiling, and they're taking that home with them, and they could remember their time at the parks, and or, the, or they enjoyed a film, and I had a part in that, and it's... On every level, it's just, it's awesome. It's just awesome. <laughs> so how'd you actually get your first job working for Disney? 
Well, I went to CalArts for two years. Um, you do a couple of short films while you're there, student films. And um, around 94, well, it was 1994, um, I was hired um, onto Fantasia 2000. And, hi. <laughs> and um, that, that film lasted, for me, three years. And during that time, I also worked on Pocahontas, uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, and um, also Runaway Brain, a little tiny bit of that. And Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there because <laughs> someday, you know, 20 years from now, my son's going to listen back to this and be like, you talked to somebody that worked on Pocahontas and Punchback of Notre Dame. Huge, huge fan mm-hmm. of both of those films. Uh, and, 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 you know, you mentioned Runaway Brain, which, you know, let's, let's give that little short it's due that seven minute uh short was produced by feature animation it was also nominated for an oscar wow that's yeah that, that was fun that was it was mostly done in paris that was a fantastic studio really awesome artists over there and i mean it you know you're talking artists in europe you know <laughs> you can't get much better than that but that was that was a great little short to work on and i was privileged to I had the privilege of working on just a few scenes in that film in California. Anything with Frank and Ollie, which I love. I just love the uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Frank uh, Thomas and Ollie Johnson reference. Oh yeah, Doctor Frank and Ollie. That was the uh, that was the crazy. Oh, uh, Kelsey Grammer did the voice of that that monkey. I just all of that stuff was just fantastic. I actually got to work on a couple of scenes with Mickey in that film, and Alex that you interviewed before, Alex Mayer. He he, he always kind of makes the point that you know it's the animation's great, but it's also great. You know, being able to work on characters that, you know, in animation you're always working on something new, and, and at, at uh, merchandise, you know, you get to work on classic characters, and I totally agree with them. It's awesome. But I did get to work on some classic characters in animation, and I'm proud of that. Like Mickey and also uh, Donald Duck and Pomp and, Cir- Pomp and Circumstance in um, uh, Fantasia 2000. My very first thing that I did, speaking of Fantasia, were the, uh, the eyes on the whales in Pines of Rome. That was my very first... Um, assignment <laughs> and and it was a lot of fun and at the time it was really it was the reason those were done 2d and the whales 3d it was just at the time it was just something that you know it turned out to be easier to do that way and now i'm sure things have advanced so much since then but i i'm really proud of that film when it premiered finally when it came out i was already i had already transferred here to florida and in 97 and um when it came out, it was 2000, obviously, and um, I, you know, I was able to go to Carnegie Hall in New York City and see the premiere there, and it was just fantastic. They had a live orchestra performing the entire film, hundred-piece orchestra, and um, uh, live, uh, you know, a chorus, up, you know, singers up in the balcony. And uh, now, now, when you're working on the film, though, ahead of time, and you're you're doing a sequel to a film that really sort of you know revolutionized filmmaking on so many different levels does it does it hit you then or does it hit you when you finally see the finished product i guess being at carnegie hall doesn't hurt either yeah i i think i was in shock i mean just kind of at that point by that by that stage you know i had i had already like i said moved to florida by that point and i'd been out here for a few years already so i was separated from all the people that had worked on that or that I'd worked with and everything so it's almost like it was something from the past you know a few years is turns out to be a long time um, but yeah during the making of that it was such a great it was a very small group of artists I think I was one of four cleanup artists on that film at, at in the beginning at least um, 
later on it grew but um it was it was just it was fantastic roy disney was there very often it was his pet project it was his baby uh so he was there a lot to oversee it um he produced it in fact and it was just i that's when that was where i had you know like i said i just come out of art school i was 22 you know and to be there where i was just such a big i mean i use the word disney geek all the time but it's true that's what i have always been continue to be but at the time you know to be able to to be there working it's like here i am here i am at disney i'm working on this movie it's a sequel to fantasia which oh my gosh you know (laughs) no pressure at all (laughs) no pressure you know so i just i i that was a learning experience for me too i learned and fine-tuned a lot of stuff and and i'm i'm still learning you never stop learning but that was the very beginning for me uh, within disney and then you come, like you said, you come here in 97, sort of make a big switch coming from the West Coast to now animation here. But again, you get to work on more feature films like Brother Bear. Again, my son going to be very jealous, Lilo and Stitch, and most importantly, Mulan. And again, the, the fact that you worked on Chen Po and Ling. <laughs> well, that I, I had, not to be separating California and Florida so much, I, I just hadn't mentioned those films yet because I was thinking on the first half of it, but I, I, I see it as like chapters, kind of like you see things as chapters in your life, you know, and, and like I said about measuring the years by the films, that's exactly how I think of it still. I don't think of the year 1998. I always think, oh, uh, you know, was, let's see, we finished up Mulan and we're moving on to, you know, you know, Brother Bear came a little bit, oh no, Lilo and Stitch came after that and then Brother Bear. Well, in between there, there was also there were also a lot of other things. Um, I got to work on uh, John Henry, which was uh, awesome. I wish it could have been a feature-length film. Um, also, uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast, the special edition. I worked on Human Again, the sequence in that. And um, oh, I, I, I know I'm forgetting something, but it was a lot of fun. Tiny little bit on Tarzan. So, and at some point too. You sort of make the transition from working on animated films and feature films into staying here in Florida, but working on things for the theme parks and projects for the theme parks. Oh yeah, that was a big transition. Um, in the same building that we were working in in animation, uh, was this very awesome uh, design studio called the Disney Design Group, and um, the doors were always kind of shut between us. And um, I think mainly just because of, probably mainly because of animation being what it is and, and projects that are yet to be years ahead. I don't know really why, but basically everyone was kept pretty distant. And um, I really didn't know what all went on at DDG. I didn't really know much about it. I kept it at my desk and I just kept to my own business and stuff. But now that I'm working there, I mean, it's a whole long other story, but... After a few years, the studio shut down here in, in 2004, and uh, I worked at Project Firefly, which was a different animation studio here in Orlando, started by former animators from Disney, and that was a that was also a great thing. Um, and then as things turned out, I ended up, um, well, there was another layoff, and then I, uh, a door opened up at DDG, Disney Design Group, and here I come walking back into the same building, and went through an interview and everything and I was just the, the feeling was so strange I don't know the word to describe it just awesome and strange and just I don't know I don't know what to say but coming back into the same animation building and then going to the right instead of the left and um, well let me step back for a second because you yeah. talked about 
you know, a, a really major and unfortunate milestone, I think, in, in history, which was the closing of the studios here in 2004. What Kind of tell us what that was like from the inside perspective, because we as guests and we as fans, especially of fans of, of 2D animation, we're very disappointed to see it go and see the studios sort of get away from its namesake of being a real working production studio and animation studio. Well, yeah, I, I agree. It was it was rough. It was very rough, and I'm not going to lie about it, but it, it at the same time, you know, I'm working with Disney now, and I think just on a purely personal level, for me in particular, I, I feel like, well, you know, you get through some adversity and, and something good becomes of it, comes out of that. And, you know, one door closed, another one opened for me. And that's why I'm here. And I, I wouldn't be working with the great people I'm working with now had it not been for that. I, not that I wish that that, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's hard to look back 2020 hindsight or anything. But, but like, here we are, we're sitting across from one man's dream story of Walt Disney and you walk through there like I did today at lunch and you see all the stuff you see Walt's old school desk and everything like that and you see the old animation equipment and you see all the old merchandises in there as well and you see the overarching theme of everything there's magic in every bit of this company and every every bit of the history of this company in particular and at the time when all that happened um, I kept thinking well you know something's eventually going to change with it. I don't know if I'll always work with Disney, you know, when I was laid off. I didn't know what the future held. I, on one level, felt like, well, who am I now? What's my identity now? I'd only worked at Disney, and I'd only, my whole life had been focused on that. And as such a big fan, I'd always been a fan of it. I couldn't imagine working anywhere else, and I still can't. <laughs> but, you know, I thought at the time, it's, well, something, you know, something, things happen for a reason. And hopefully you just have to trust that whoever's steering the big ship, you know, will make the right choice in the end or, or eventually what happens, someone else start, took over the ship and, and I really like where it's going now. Tell us a little bit about exactly what the Disney Design Group is. I've, I've had Mark Seppel on the show and he talked about a certain aspect about pins, but there's a lot more and we, again, as guests, don't sort of realize what really is going on backstage and how important and how appreciated, actually, what you guys do back there is. Well, the Disney Design Group is a really interesting and, and I, I wish my vocabulary was bigger. It's an awesome place to work. The artists are fantastic. You never find any like this. And it, more than anything, I like that it's relatively small compared to, well, for example, where I was in animation where you have hundreds of artists. This is a very small group of artists working individually to create all these products that you find only in these theme parks. So they're very specific. Uh, basically, yeah, what I'm saying is Disney Design Group creates merchandise for the parks. Um, and we create it not only for Disney World, but for Disneyland as well, which is great for me because I, I, I grew up with that park and... and I got to do a Matterhorn pin. I was really excited about that. So things like that. That's what we do. And, and you know, one thing, if I can say, that the other day just blew my mind, and I had almost not forgotten about it, but I was so excited to see it. But I came out, and I was having lunch out here, and I saw someone with, or I had a napkin and the cup. It had the Christmas uh, art on there, the holiday art. I, I did the characters on that. I did Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and Pluto and Donald. Uh, in July of 97, or <laughs> 2007. Boy, that was a long time ago. I really saw this coming. Yeah. What a visionary you are. Yeah. By the way, would you sign my napkin when we're done with this, please? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. well, 
that little thing blew my mind because you see everybody drinking out of this thing or wiping their face on this napkin and that that makes me just as excited as seeing my name on a on, a, on the end of a feature because everyone is is here using it and benefit or maybe they'll take a look at the cup and say hey that's pretty cool or, you know i mean i'm one of many people that created that art i just did the characters um actually the costumes changed before they got to the point they are now and it's it's even better looking now than when when i messed around with it but i, I did the initial poses of the characters so even though it might be a single product there might be multiple artists that work on it yes yeah depending on the product some some things i mean even uh some pins like we collaborate on on tons of things here i've i'm really thankful to be on the pin team it's a lot of fun we get to do so many pins i mean it's unbelievable i mean <laughs> um but you work on that might that might be understatement of the year so, yeah. <laughs> so many pins well it's like i said before about getting to work on classic characters on um, attractions and shows and everything um i'm, I'm working on a pin right now about June gloom in California. You know, it's just interesting things that are just you wouldn't expect sometimes. Uh, but yeah, it's a collaboration because you'll work on one thing. Today, I uh, one of the guys there who's a graphic designer is fantastic, named Tyler. He 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 uh, jumped in and helped me uh, to finish this pin because the verbiage on there, the words, I I just couldn't get it. And he came in and just lickety split, just because that's his specialty and one of his specialties, and he just helped me out on it. And not only that, once the art is done on our end, you know, it's all digital. It be becomes digital after you work on it with the pencil and everything, and then you scan it and get it to that stage. And then it all goes to factories uh, in Asia where they actually create these pins and hand paint them. And um, that in itself is a whole different process and story, and it's just amazing how they do that. But then you get each one of these pins, which is handcrafted. So, How long does it take to go from concept to Ron seeing the pin in his hand and, and how much creative sort of freedom do you have? Are you just given a concept and say, look, Ron, we need a new you know, Halloween pin or, we want, or, or you say, look, this is your task at hand. This is exactly what we're looking for. Okay, well uh, the first part, it, it varies, I think, as to how long it takes and usually it's, I don't know, maybe six months or so, and I could be totally off on this but um, it seems like my experience so far, and I've been there year and a half now about um it, it it's definitely about at least six months because it has to go sometimes it's a year um i worked on pins quite a while ago that aren't going to show up until you know next summer so um it depends i think so um but the process is uh yeah you get an order like a, a cwo a creative work order uh, from the product developers who are right now in a separate building, they come up with, their job is to come up with basically, usually just the, the basic idea of what to do. And sometimes they'll get really specific or sometimes it's totally up to us. Sometimes it's artist choice. Sometimes we can just come up with whatever we want. Um, but, you know, there always has to be some structure to it and some uh, held to some, um, you know, schedule. So they'll... Um, the process is we'll get that creative work order from them saying, okay, do a pin about um, Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day, and uh, maybe use this character. So I, I did Minnie Mouse holding a, you know, a, a, an award saying, you know, um, world's, world's, world's best mom, you know, and things like that. 
Actually, I think that was on the creative work order, so I just follow directions on that one. Sometimes it's really easy and simple, and sometimes you really gotta really gotta dig into it. And gosh, how it's all problem solving. At just to one end or another, you really think hard about it and exercise your brain and, and your create creativity and and at the same time the challenge is the productivity to really you know to meet your deadlines and there's a ton of deadlines um but that's what keeps you if, if there were no deadlines you you know i speaking for myself i'd probably sit on something for a lot longer than i should so it's great to have you know a little fire underneath <laughs> do you work have, or have you worked in the past on on things other than pins and if so you know looking back what do you think the one piece of merchandise is that you look on and say, this is it, this is the thing I'm really most proud of? Oh, boy. Well, yeah, pins are just the latest of what I've been working on. And I'm on the Hardlines team, so we, we get to work on, you know, uh, gosh, I think there's five or six different uh, sections of what we do, divisions of, of, of just our team alone, which is one of, I think, seven divisions in the, in the studio. Um, but I've done every, everything from antenna toppers to um, souvenir, you know, little, little frames. I did a you know pirate Mickey uh, peeker frame magnet. Um, so some things are real little. When some things are bigger, like I did for gallery, I did, um, and that was on a different team, of course, but I did a, a 45th anniversary Enchanted Tiki Room uh, animation cell. And like you said about creative freedom and stuff, Basically, the and, and this product developer is in California, by the way, so it was over the phone and over the computer. And the idea was basically, can you do a cell? So the characters are on a cell, and at first it was Donald and Daisy, and then it became Mickey and Minnie. And you know, sometimes things change like that. And um, and also with a painted background, um, and I was able to to uh, paint that digitally, and. Um, it was awesome. It was so much fun to be able to... Because coming from animation where you have very specific things to do and you're doing that the entire length of the film, you know, make sure Lilo looks exactly the same on every scene. And that in itself is a lot of hard work. Now coming here, it's like, you mean I get to just put them in whatever pose I want? You know, I get to... <laughs> um, that, I, that was a lot of fun. So I got to do that cell. And when I recently went out to Disneyland and... I was on Main Street, and I went into, uh, gosh, which store? The gallery on the right side of Main Street. And there's the cell there, the cell that I worked on in Florida, back at Disneyland where I grew up. And look at this. Look. And then I saw some, some other things I'd worked on, like a license plate frame and a t- uh, Tinkerbell back scratcher, you know, funny things like that. But there they are, and I'm so proud of it, just as much as I would, would just as proud as I have ever been of having the name on a, on a credit, you know. That's what I'm saying. You know, when do you really feel like you made it? When you, when you see your name at the end of a feature, when you see a product, uh, you know, that you created on a child's lanyard or on Main Street, or you know, when you Google yourself and you find your, you know, you have your own IMDb page. <laughs> well, I, the, the narcissism knows no ends. <laughs> I no, it, um, I'm guilty of that, but um, I've never made it. I've ne- you know, in, in terms of thinking, okay, now I can rest on my laurels. I, I really think this is not for me. I mean, first of all, my priority now is, you know, I have a family now, I have a son. And it's all partially, I mean, a lot of that's due to Disney, my career with Disney. The reason I'm in Florida is because of Disney. I met my wife through mutual friends out here in Florida. Um, uh, you know, and of course now we have a son. And he is just, he's just my world, right? And my wife and my son are just, they're my world. And to think that now I get to 
I get to share all of this with him now, you know, and give him what I got is just, is just everything. And I, I, oh gosh, but as far as the narcissism goes or, or just, just the, um, feeling that I've made it or something, I, I just feel like every day it, there's no end to it. There's no, I'm not, I'm not wanting it to end or even have a place where I say, okay, I'm done because I, every day is new. And especially where I work now, everything is, you get something new every single day. You have no idea what the next uh, pin assignment's going to be or, or anything. And it's, that's what makes, that's what keeps it awesome for me. I, I think it's fantastic because I get to, like I said, work on classic characters. One of the things about all these films and about all these projects and everything and is that's kind of, it is how you measure time. You measure events in your life. Like you say, oh, well, that, what year was that? Oh, I just remember that was when my son was born or that was... Well, that kind of all coincides, too. Like, Curious George was when... That's when my son was born, right at the end of that film. So when that came out, I took him to it and, you know, held him up. And he <laughs> he just... Curious George reminded me so much of him. So, but... Um, oh, gosh. Uh, there's one other thing I forgot to mention. <laughs> um, not to be listing everything, but... Uh, I, I did a I did a, a big fig for Gallery uh, that I was really proud of. And um, took a lot of... It took a lot of hours to get it done but the uh, I mean the real talent in it is the sculpting which which uh, you know a vendor did for us but I, I got to design it and this was when I was practically first hired and it was a big fig of Mickey Mouse as the Sorcerer's Apprentice and he was kind of in that pose with his arms crossed looking back over his shoulder and the the whole backdrop of it was uh, a clear I think acrylic uh, or resin I think anyway and I got to design that, and it ended up kind of looking like a sort of a an ice sculpture, but it had lights underneath, and the lights all changed. And I got to design the whole, all the elements on it, and it's hard to describe verbally. But that's something I'm very proud of, and it, it changes every day. And tomorrow there'll be something else, hopefully, that I'll be real excited about and, and thankful. Again, just always, every day is is I get I I'm so thankful to to get to come in every day. So. <laughs> All right, now, if, if you're just given, you walk in tomorrow, you're given free reign, they say, Ron, you can do any sort of, you know, theme park item that you want, you know, what would it be? And if you say that you're going to start creating attraction miniatures, starting with ex- extinct attractions like Horizons, I might just reach over and hug you. <laughs> well, well, just say, just say the word Horizons, come on. <laughs> I have a story about Horizons. <laughs> no, Horizons is, that would be great. I think there should be more stuff done for that. I think and you never know <laughs> but um, just like those uh, how do you pronounce it Olchevsky yeah. oh gosh I love those I, I wish I could buy those but I, I love all of that stuff I wish there I, I think you know it, it, like I said it's changing every day and there's something new every day but um, I would love a Matterhorn I, that's my favorite attraction uh, just from my childhood and um, well back to Horizons real quick though that that music from Horizons, that before I had even moved to Florida, I, I had the soundtrack, the uh, the CD soundtrack, um, that had the space theme, I think, that one part of Horizons that had the space part. And it's just the most beautiful music, I think, and so short in that CD. I used to, every time I'd listen to it, and I had this picture I'd taken at Epcot, and I had it on my desk at work in California, and I was in the process of trying to get everything through to, to transfer out here. And I always had that on my desk, and I'd hear that music, and just remember how great because I'd been out here once. And uh, that's that's my horizon story. Is that that, that 
the music from that ride was just was so awesome, and I miss it. I miss that attraction a lot. <laughs> so, so uh, let me ask you. You know, we talk about different people's journeys and and the routes that they take to to sort of get where they are into animation or into the DDG or to be an Imagineer and. You know, while everybody's is different, and you sort of took the more traditional route. You know, you you go to Cal Arts, and you, you get, you know, you get the job eventually with Disney. Um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's thinking about it? Whether it's you know the twelve-year-old kid that says, "God, I, I want to work for Disney, and I love drawing, or I want to be an animator," or somebody who's you know been trying for some time and just can't seem to get their foot in the door. I would say keep at it. Just keep at it. I mean, uh, my own experience has proved proven has proved. <laughs> that you know you never give up on things you, you just you, you you know like I said a door shuts another one opens you just gotta keep looking for it don't keep banging on the one that's shut uh, just keep on drawing keep on um, try new things try different art forms whatever it is you do whether you write write music dance whatever your field of art is or whatever your creative passion is because you know it could be anything but in my experience it's drawing um Pursue your passion first and foremost. Uh, as far as art schools are concerned, CalArts is just one of many, many art schools. I mean, it, it, like you said, there are a lot of people that are really famous now that, that went there. And that's because at, at that time, that was some great classes of people that... Um, you know, animation wasn't really even at CalArts. I mean, they didn't have a character animation department when it first opened, I heard. It, it started, I think, in the 70s. And it's because they needed... The studio needed... <laughs> needed a new generation of artists and they, they realized that they needed to, to train them and, um, and the great thing is that helped out lots of different studios not just Disney but as far as art schools now they're all over the place and some of them have been there from the very beginning but there's some great ones uh, Sheridan in Canada right here in Florida there's Ringling um, uh, gosh there's there's so many I know people that went to Ohio uh, New York of course uh, I I, I'm, I really don't know the whole list, but I know there's just tons of them. I, and the, the great thing is when you work at this place, and, and just as an example, I think there's there's one other person where I work that went to CalArts. So it's, it's I think Alex had been accepted there years ago. Um, so it's just, it's just one place of many, and, and you talk to people and you'll get a different answer. It's great working where somewhere, it's great working somewhere where people come from all over the place. There's places all over the place that that are that are great art schools for people to go to. And what is you know we were talking earlier as we were just sort of watching people go by and talking about the Disney experience and and what it's like to be here and just sit and sort of and and sort of just be in the park. You know what what is it? You know what is it for you about working at Disney? What is that the Disney magic from your side as opposed to to us as guests who who you know experience what you guys produce on stage? What is it like for you on the opposite end? Oh boy! Well, it's basically the innocence of it—the innocence, the sincerity at its core. Um, everything is genuine when you really look at it. I mean, as as far as a company is concerned, as far as an entertainment giant is concerned, there's nothing like this anywhere. And I think really what it is—and again, I'm looking at Walt Disney right there and One Man's Dream across the way there. It's, you know, it's so, it's so genuine, and I think there's something. There's something when you just you peel back the veil of everyday life, and everyone I think wants something similar. They want they want to be reminded that 
you know, that, that, um, that there's innocence still. You know, you, you're so close to it when you're a kid. And, you know, when you're older, you still, you still have some of that. But, but, you know, there's so many other things in life that kind of eclipse that sometimes. And you're not thinking about it. And when you see a Disney movie or you, you go on a ride at Disney or just, in my experience, anything Disney in particular is just reminds you of that. That innocence that you, you wish you still could see all over the place and maybe as a kid you know you, you see like I'm watching kids right now in these strollers they're just the wonder of it all you know they're just they're just enraptured and they're just enjoying enjoying everything and for all they know the whole world is like this I wish it was you know and and from my point of view in a in, in a very small way as one of many many people that that are working here I think I'm, I'm getting a chance to help make some of that magic and it, it does feel like magic. When I see a smile on a kid's face, that's the real magic. That's where it happens. And it's like Walt said, you know, it, you, or I think Eric Severide said this when Walt passed away, but it, maybe Walt did say it. When um, there's a lot of, there's not much, there's no grown-up in a child, but there's, in every single grown-up, there is, there's a child in every single grown-up. So when you're, you're all grown-up and you just think you've, you've gotten so... Um, Oh, what is the word? You know, maybe cynical about things or, you know, life's treated you rough, uh, whatever it is. You can be reminded about the simplicity of, of childhood or about the wonder of life and just the wonders of life. There's another pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But um, that's what I think of. I just think of the, the ideal sincerity that, to me, this, the word Disney represents to me. It's the sincerity and, and innocence that that we all long for, and I think you get to kind of experience that in a way when you come here, any of the parks. Absolutely, I agree. And Ron, thanks so much for taking the time to, to sit and chat with me. It, it really is a thrill to be able to talk to somebody who's so, so talented, and if you saw any of my stick figure drawings uh, that I'm also proud of, you'd see what I'm, I'm talking about there. They're simply priceless. And, you know, there's so many other people like you that we may not know by name, but we appreciate your work nonetheless. And, uh, you know, while what you do really is kind of anonymous to us as guests, uh, I hope that having you and, and other people on like Alex and Brian and Mark and somebody, will make people understand and appreciate so much more what you do. And uh, listen, in the future, if you want to make a Wedway People Mover t-shirt or a mini haunted mansion, um, you know, some other ride vehicles, I'm sure I would not be the only one who would get online to buy it. Well, there, well just so you know, I'm sure everybody knows there's going to be a ton of haunted mansion stuff coming out next year because I worked on a ton of it. It feels like a ton of it, but it was a lot of fun and, and you, you won't be disappointed, I hope. <laughs> we'll talk offline. You can tell me. <laughs> so, but, Ron, really, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time today and chatting with me. Oh, thank you, Lou. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. It's been a couple of weeks since I answered some of your listener emails. I promise I'm going to devote some time over the next few shows to try and answer some more, play some catch-up. I know I have a lot to get to. But this week, since it's uh, just me in the studio, I want to try and get through as many as I can, as quickly as I can, 
So I'm gonna do a sort of lightning round and tear through the inbox and answer as many as I can in a short amount of time as possible. So here we go. First, Lou, I have a question for you about a song you played in the last few weeks on the WDW radio show. Specifically, it's a song that plays in the background when you're discussing the contests. It sounds somewhat like a song we hear associated with Cirque du Soleil. If you know the one I'm referring to, please let me know more about it. Thanks and have a great weekend. That came from Brian Hubbard in Kokomo, Indiana. Brian, the music that you're referring to is from the old Millennium Village game show. And I never quite thought about it like that, but I think you're right. It does have a sort of Cirque du Soleil-esque, jazzy, upbeat quality to it. Uh, The Millennium Village game show... If you think back to October 1999, this was a pavilion that was built sort of as the showplace of Disney's Millennium Celebration. It's a 60,000 square foot pavilion located in between Canada and the UK. And you really can't see it now other than two large uh, wooden gates uh, that open up into to the built pavilion space, which is currently used for special events, party for the senses, corporate parties, things like that. Uh, When the Millennium Village game show was going on, this whole area had exhibits and, of course, a food court, a lot of different interactive displays and a pre-show and something called the World Culture Game, which was an interactive quiz show game. It was hosted by cast members who were meant to be sort of representative of the United Nations. One of these days, I'll have to do a full segment on the old Millennium Village, what was included in there, um, because it was really something very, very interesting, very, very different. There were a lot of different countries represented, even ones beyond uh, the the nations that are part of World Showcase now. There was Ethiopia and New Zealand. Um, Israel, which was a planned pavilion that was never built, was actually represented in there, had a lot more than just um, some of these little exhibits. So I'll definitely cover that. But again, this is the lightning round. Time to move on. Next question says, Lou, I wanted to know if you or any of your listeners have an answer to a question I have regarding the Dive Quest experience. I've done it twice in the last couple of years, and I've always wanted to know if there are any hidden Mickeys or hidden treasures lying in the tank. I'm usually too excited to remember to ask during the pre-dive briefing. I'm hoping to dive again this year, and I don't want to miss out on anything there is to see. By the way, if you ever have the opportunity to do it, do it. It is the best diving I've ever done, and to my knowledge, is one of the most immersive experiences there is to have at Walt Disney World. Thanks for your help, and as always, great job on the show. That comes from Fabian Ospina. Fabian, uh, you're right. Real quick, what is Epcot Dive Quest first and foremost? It's actually a real scuba diving experience that takes you inside the saltwater tank at the Seas with Nemo and Friends Pavilion in Epcot. It's a three-hour experience that lets you really, like I said, get into the tank about 40, 45 minutes underwater, 6,000 different creatures and 60 different species that you get to interact with. There's sea turtles and dolphins and eagle rays and, yes, even the sharks. Although you should be aware, this experience is only open to guests who are scuba certified. So you have to have your scuba certificate before you're able to do DiveQuest. If you want to find out more, you can call 407-WDW-TOUR. I'll cover this a little bit more in depth, pardon the pun, uh, as we start talking about some of the other tours Walt Disney World offers. But on to your question. Are there hidden Mickeys in the tank? Yes. And there are two that I know of. There is a series of rocks that are assembled in the bottom of the aquarium that form the classic three-circle hidden Mickey. There's also another one in the manatee tank. And I'll admit right here that I've never been in the tank, uh, although I have seen these before, but they were pointed out to me by Steve Barrett, author of the Hidden Mickeys book, to see photos 
To find out about any more over at the Seas Pavilion, go to hiddenmickeysguide.com. You can check out Steve's catalog, find some great photos there. Next question. Hey, Lou, yours was the first Walt Disney World podcast I tried, and I enjoyed it so much. I started subscribing to others to have even more Walt Disney World fun while I sit here in three feet of northern Michigan snow three months out of my trip in April. However, your podcast is still the absolute best. Thank you very much. Thank you for your other kind comments as well. And as you say, anyway, enough schmoozing on to the question. Regarding using extra magic hours, we're planning to spend the day at Epcot and have dinner at Le Cellier. Just confirmed the ADRs. Even the reservationist was happy for you on that one. After dinner, we were hoping to water taxi over to Disney's Hollywood Studios for extra magic hours that night. But here's the deal. Hollywood Studios closes at 7 p.m. that night, and we won't get out of Canada and over to Hollywood Studios until after official park closing time. Are those who qualify to use extra magic hours able to enter a park after regular hours have ended and extra magic hours have already begun? Or do you have to be in the park to be able to stay for extra magic hours? It's a simple question, but I can't find clarification on the web anywhere. And with this lead time, I figured you were my best hope for a solid answer. That comes from Michelle Swanson. Michelle, like you said in your email, I hope, too, to have the uh, pleasure of meeting you during your trip in April. So the easy answer to your question is yes, you can enter a park after extra magic hours have started. You don't have to be in a park beforehand, nor do you have to leave and then go back in once extra magic hours start. Just be sure that you have your Walt Disney World Resort ID because that's going to be your ticket to get in for extra magic hours. Next email is from Bill who says, Hey Lou, I've been a frequent listener to your show and I have a question I think you can answer for me. I'm going back to the world in June 09, his 12th trip, for the Walt Disney World pin event and I'm going to be staying at Pop Century. I have a refillable mug from when I stayed there in 05, and I was wondering if I can reuse my mug there, even though it's four years later. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to hearing your upcoming shows. Bill, thanks for your question. First and foremost, what are refillable mugs? Well, basically, in many of the resorts, in the food courts, you can purchase a plastic mug for about $12.50, about $13 with tax, and the mug allows you, after you purchase it, to go up to the beverage stations with the Coca-Cola fountain drinks, coffee, tea, hot chocolate. Um, I think Pop Century also has frozen Cokes that you can use for your refillable mugs. And you can refill your mugs at your resort only as many times as you want during your stay. Now, that's the important part. That's the part that answers your questions. They are only good for the length of your vacation. You can't use them on any future visits to Walt Disney World. As soon as you check out and head home, Basically, that's when your refillable mug expires. And remember, too, these are only for use at your resort. They used to be very resort-specific. About 2006 or seven or so, I think right before the Year of a Million Dreams started, that's when they went to a, uh, a single resort-wide logo and look on the mugs. But again, once you purchase them at your resort, it's really on the honor system that that's the only food court you're supposed to use them in. I'll put a list of the resorts and the locations in the resorts in this week's show notes where you can actually purchase and use the mugs at. Next question said, Lou, I just booked a week stay at Disney's Port Orleans Resort Riverside. I know you rave about the resort as being the best of the moderates, and I was hoping for some advice. Which section or buildings would provide us the best access to the main pool and bus stops? We have a three-year-old and want to try and cut down on the walk back to our room once we return from the parks in the evening, been there, done that. 
I've been told buildings in the mansion section may provide this, but wanted to see what you had to say. Also, do you have any tips on actually getting a request for one of these rooms to be able to actually happen? That comes from Jim in Staten Island, New York. Jim, like we talked about on the show, basically Riverside broken up to two sections. Alligator Bayou, those are the small uh, lodges, and there's also the larger Magnolia Bend mansions. You ask specifically about uh, the mansions over in Magnolia Bend. I think Acadian House and Magnolia Terrace, those are located closest to Old Man Island where the swimming pool is. Uh, You can also walk from the island right to get to the main building for shopping, the restaurants, and buses as well. If you want to stay in Alligator Bayou, Lodge 14 is closest to the food court. Obviously, you can get a bus right from the main lobby as well. What I would do is I would recommend going over to portorleans.org. That's run by Andre Willie. He actually came and joined me, and I also suggest you go back and listen to show 97. We did a full report on Port Orleans, talk a lot about the different locations, the different rooms, the benefits of where you can stay. I think that might be your best bet. Also, take a look at a map, get an idea of what might be best for you and your family. Next email says, Lou, I collect Disney dollars, and I have every year except for the newest line. I flew through the Orlando airport recently, couldn't get to Walt Disney World, and thought I'd get the next new series at the airport. That's the store, the Disney store inside the uh, Orlando International Airport. Unfortunately, the ones they sell are all folded and beaten up. Is there a way to get a crisp, brand new Disney dollar direct from Disney? The answer is yes, and here's a couple of different ways you can do it. First of all, you can buy them in your local Disney store at the mall if you have one. You cannot buy it from the Disney store or DisneyShopping.com. You cannot get these dollars online. You may be able to purchase these through regular mail. I have not been able to confirm this, although I have read this on a number of places. I'll put the address for Walt Disney World ticketing in this week's show notes. My understanding is that you may be able to do this via mail. You can purchase up to $650 worth of Disney dollars but that it does include a $10 shipping and handling fee. Of course, you can always go and visit eBay, and I'm not saying that that is the best way to do it. It is sort of caveat emptor, buyer beware. You don't know what you're getting from who. But if you try and find somebody with a good reputation, um, there is obviously probably going to be a premium associated with buying them that way. Your best bet, if you can't get down there, see if there's somebody that you know that might be going down, is willing to get some Disney dollars for you, or again, check out your local Disney store at the mall. Moving on, lightning round, next question. I'm going back to the world in April, and I might get the official Disney Parks album and Fantasmic. My question is, how much are the CDs and where can I get them? Keep up the awesome job with your show, Phil. Phil, if you're actually going to be buying these when you get down to Disney World, they are available pretty much everywhere. Um, In most of the theme parks, most of the resort gift shops. Uh, the, The CD I think that you're maybe looking for is the new 2009 Four Parks One World CD. That's actually a two-CD set that includes music from all four parks. Um, It's awesome. I have last year's version. I think that runs about $29. Don't quote me on that. Maybe a little bit more, uh, but there's 40 or so songs on there. That's probably the best of the bunch. Fantasmic, I believe, is either $14.98 or $19.98. I can't seem to find online the exact price, but again, they're available pretty much everywhere that that you can do shopping. Now, if you're interested in the CDs and you can't get down to Disney World, you can actually purchase them directly from Walt Disney World. You can call them uh, the merchandise department directly at 407-363-6200. 
or you can email them at www.mail.order at disney.com. Next email says, Lou, I know you got a million things to do to get ready for your show and your trip to Walt Disney World soon. Hope to see you there. Anyway, I'm writing because my daughters and I have been listening to the show since your old podcast, since we only recently discovered them. But there was one somewhere, I think it was a listener that called in and sang a song. That was great. We wanted to hear it again, but I can't remember which podcast it was on. Not a priority. But if you get a chance, we'd love to hear it again. Thanks. Hopefully we'll see you on the in the Magic Kingdom. And that is from Tammy, Megan, and Ashley from Warland, Wyoming. Uh, that was actually a song sent in by a listener named Jesse Biseglia. I will go ahead. I'll play that at the very end of the show right after the voicemails. Um, Jesse did an awesome job on the show. Really like how that came out. So, yes, I will play that for you guys and hope to meet you guys in the Magic Kingdom as well. Moving on. Lou, do you know of any Weight Watchers meetings on property or perhaps in close proximity of the world? My parents are planning a trip to the world for the first time in probably 20 years. The last new attraction they saw was the Norway Pavilion. They're in their 60s and are very excited about the upcoming trip. They're both currently attending Weight Watchers meetings and doing very well, I might add. Despite or maybe because of the great food options they'll be facing, they're determined to keep on track. Can you help? Thank you, Stephen. Stephen, great question. And you would think about how much I talk about food on the show, that watching your weight in Walt Disney World would be tough, but it's not. Uh, Because there are so many different dining options, so many new healthy choices that Disney has introduced, there is a lot to choose from. Plus, I really believe that uh, when you walk around the parks, even if it's just for an hour or so, you burn off anything and everything that you've eaten during the week. Um, I consider a, a day walking around Epcot sort of like training for the marathon. But as for Weight Watchers meetings, I actually went to the Weight Watchers website, did a search. Um, there is a, a meet once a week over in Celebration. That's probably your closest bet. That's Monday currently. That's Monday at 5.45 p.m. That might change. I suggest you go to the website, call and verify. There's also a couple of other meetings that meet other times during the week that are relatively close. There's one that looks like on Apopka Vineland Road, another one in Claremont. Again, you'll need a car to get to any of these because, unfortunately, there are no Weight Watchers meetings directly on Walt Disney World property. Next email says, Lou, love listening to the show. Enjoy all the wonderful interviews. I wanted to know if you could know where I would find a recipe for Kungaloosh. And if you could steer me in the right direction, I'd be very grateful. Thanks for the shows from Cassie Doe. Well, Cassie, uh, being the resident cabana boy for the Dream Team ladies and auction volunteers, I'm quite familiar with the serving of kungalooshes at the home, but not really making them. However, the ladies are very, very familiar with the recipe, I know. Uh, You should note, there's actually two different recipes for the kungaloosh drink that was served, sort of the, the signature drink at the Adventurers Club. That drink changed around 2000. It used to be a regular mixed drink to more of a frozen concoction, sort of like an icy. But I will post both of the recipes in the show notes. And I should remind you that both recipes do contain alcohol, so kids don't try this at home. Next question says, Lou, I was just listening to the top 10 smells of Walt Disney World, and I know I'm way, way behind, but I must agree that I know the musty water smell you speak of, and I love it as well. Take that, Tim Foster. I wanted to tell you about another place in Epcot besides Spaceship Earth, where you can experience the burning of Rome smell. If you go into the tea shop at the UK Pavilion, there's a bunch of ground-up tea leaves in the little jars on the shelf to the left of the door, directly across from the Rose and Crown. I forget which tea it was, but one of the teas smells exactly like the burning of Rome. 
And I'm sure the Twinings people and the cast members would love it if I walked in and said, excuse me, where's the tea that smells like Rome burning? Can you direct me? Anyway, she does have a question, though. Dream Along with Mickey is one of my favorite shows. I'm going down to Florida next June, and I'm wondering if it's still going to be there or if it's going to end when the year of a million dreams ends as well. Thanks for everything that comes from Jennifer. Jennifer, it is still there. To my knowledge, there is no plans right now to remove it, um, even though the year of a million's dreams is technically over. And if you go to the new Disney World website, they actually do have a Dream Along with Mickey page. There is nothing on that site that seems to indicate that it's going to go down. I will link that up in this week's show notes. Next, Lou, this may be a dumb question, no such thing, but when was the first day that Walt Disney World was closed? I know it was abruptly closed on 9-11, but I read that was only the second time it has ever happened. When was the first? Well, the fr- actually, the very first time that Walt Disney World closed in its history was on September 15th, 1999, and that was due to Hurricane Floyd, even though the parks really didn't get hit. Uh, sort of a, a precautionary measure. And quick aside, uh, I, I've interviewed Lee Cockrell. I've talked to you about his book. There's a great section in his book where they talk about the hurricane preparedness and what they did when that was coming down. Uh, really sort of a testament and evidence of the fact of, of how good Disney is at what they did and, and how they were able to accommodate the guests as well. So uh, check out his Creating Magic book if you want to find out a little bit more. Okay, this is the last question. Hey, Lou, recently my family and I came back from Disney World and we were at the Wide World of Sports Cafe. They have this ice cream there that I've been craving since we returned. It's a soft-serve cookie dough ice cream. Let me repeat that. It's a soft-serve cookie dough ice cream. It was amazing. Are there any other locations within Disney that serve this fabulous dessert? A former Dole Whip craver, Renee. You know, Renee, I actually feel bad answering this not long after the Weight Watchers question, but it is about food. It's appropriate that it's the last question, and uh, I want to, of course, research this one for you. You are talking about the chunky chocolate chip cookie dough soft serve ice cream at the Wide World of Sports All-Star Cafe, $3.79, probably worth every penny. I could not find anywhere else on property that serves it. The closest I came was over in the uh, Ghirardelli uh, Soda Fountain and Chocolate Shop in downtown Disney. They have chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. I'm sure it's not quite the same. So um, I will leave you with this. Two words, research trip. Uh, That's going to do it for emails this week. I have more to come in the next few weeks. If you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. That music can only mean that it's time to announce the winner of last week's trivia contest. But before I do, I want to make a couple of observations that I made after this week's trivia contest. First, there was a huge response to this one. And that means that either everybody is snowed in or in my sleep-deprived state, I promised a huge prize that I was really unaware of. Second, you guys rock because about 99.99% of you got not just all the questions right, but the bonus one as well. So either the questions are too easy, you guys are all Google experts, or you've been studying your Walt Disney World trivia books diligently. I'm hoping for the third, but realistically, it's more likely a combination of the first and second. And last but not least, 
many of you seem to be tempting fate as a bunch of emails came in literally once again at like 11.59 p.m. on Saturday night. Yes, if they came in at 12 o'clock, I would take them. 12.01, sorry, you're out. I'm kidding, of course. A couple of them came in a couple of minutes late, but that's okay because if they were right, they were thrown into the pool to be randomly selected uh, for this week's contest winner. But before I announce who that is, I'm going to go back and go over the questions for this week's contest. So they were all tied to celebrities in Walt Disney World after the May Pang interview last week. So the first question was, who was the evil supreme leader in Captain EO? If you remember, Captain EO was the very expensive, very high-tech, very cool at the time, I think, 3D film that was the In the Imagination Pavilion. It starred Michael Jackson. It was developed by George Lucas. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It cost a million dollars a minute to produce. And it starred a very famous person as the evil supreme leader, and that was Angelica Houston. Number two, John Ritter, from Three's Company fame, hosted the opening of the studios in 1989, but his dad can be heard, still can be heard, in what Walt Disney World attraction, and all of you got this right, it's the Country Bear Jamboree, Tex Ritter, John's dad, is the voice of Big Al. And third, who provided the voice of the timekeeper in Tomorrowland, my friend and yours, Robin, you can call me Chuck, Williams. And the bonus question was, of course, about food. I talked about the Golden Oak Outpost uh, opening in Frontierland, but they were not going to be serving McDonald's-branded products anymore. So the question was, what's the only place left in the Magic Kingdom where you can get McDonald's fries and other McDonald's food items? And that is the Village Fry Shop in Frontierland. And as I said, you didn't need to get the bonus question right in order to have your answers put into the pool. But this week's winner of the Walt Disney World Trivia Contest is from, as she says, the heart of Cajun country, Lafayette, Louisiana, Pam Gary. So, Pam, congratulations. And you got the bonus question right. So you are the first person to win the bonus prize again from Brett from the 2008 Disney Moms panel. You get... The sealed, pristine condition, in my hands I'm holding, dream lanyard and collector's pins to go along with that spiffy new set of dream Mickey ears, your 2009 Disney World trivia page-a-day calendar, your copy of the Main Street USA audio guide to Walt Disney World, and to complete the ensemble, your all-new WDW radio show button to wear with pride in the parks. Pam, you sent me your address. I'll get that prize package out to you right away but now on to this week's contest and again i'll give you three questions i'll give you a bonus question which you don't have to get right but you can get a bonus prize if you do and again you'll get the prize package of the calendar the audio guide on cd the button and the dream mickey ears again plus the mystery bonus prize so here you go here are your three questions first since it's super bowl sunday I'll start off with the obvious question. Who was the first person to ever say, I'm going to Disney World after winning a professional sports championship? And what team did he play for? Second question. East, west, north, and south. All roads led where? Third Oh, how I reminisce and sometimes miss the old journey into imagination. Dreamfinder, Billy Barty's figment, the white room, one little spark. 
And after the ride was over, I loved going upstairs to the interactive play area. What was it called? And here's your bonus question. The orchestra at Muppet Vision 3D is made up of a bunch of penguins. Who is the conductor of the orchestra? So to recap, who was the first person to ever say, I'm going to Disney World after winning the sports championship? Two, east, west, north, and south. All roads led where? It's from an attraction. Three, what was the name of the interactive play area of the original Journey into Imagination ride? And the bonus question is, who is the conductor of the Penguin Orchestra at Muppet Vision 3D? Now you'll have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, February 7th, 2009 to email your answers to Lou at WDWRadio.com. Remember, there'll be just one winner this week, chosen randomly from all the correct entries. Good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to my guests, Tim Foster and Ron Cohey, as well as everybody who emailed the show and played in this week's contest. Please continue sending your questions in to lou at wdwradio.com, or if you want to be heard on the air, call the voicemail toll-free at 888-703-2171. Quick notes this week. First, a reminder that February's WDW Radio Show Meet of the Month is scheduled for Friday, February 13th, over at Disney's Animal Kingdom at the Flame Tree Barbecue. We'll be down in the lower level seating area by the river. That will start at 12 p.m. Again, that's Friday, February 13th. This will be just a very casual meetup of listeners who get together, talk, chat, maybe play some games, have some lunch, whatever. We should be there probably for a couple of hours. Hope you can come by and say hi. If you are and want to let us know, there's two ways. You can either go and post in the Meet of the Month forum over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com or on Facebook. You can follow the links in the show notes over to the WDW Radio Show group page. There you'll see the event. You can respond that you will be coming. Again, no need to RSVP. Just kind of curious as to how many of you think you might show up. Other things that are going on this month. I've spoken on previous shows about the new WDW Radio Live I've been experimenting with over the past few weeks With that, you can join me for a real-time interactive video chat where I'll be broadcasting online with audio and video. And you can come by into the text chat room, ask questions, talk to me, other listeners as well. Done this a few times before, really sort of unannounced, had a great time with it. Um, What I did want to do this time is give you a little bit more of a heads up this week and let you know that I will be doing a scheduled WDW radio show live. This is going to be Friday February 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I'll also put it on the WDW Radio Show homepage that day. I'll be posting it in Facebook and on Twitter, the link that you can click on or to join us. And if you're a little late or if you can't make it at 8 p.m., don't worry, because if the last two times were any indicator, we went till after 2 a.m. We were up for about five, six hours doing it. So uh, please come by if you get a chance and check out WDW Radio Live. Now, if you aren't following me on Twitter, go over, sign up for a free account. 
You can follow my instant updates at twitter.com slash lumangelo. We've also been playing a new game this week, the uh, Disney World Finish This Sentence game. A lot of you guys seem to be having fun with that. Over on Facebook, come on by, be my friend, become a fan of the WDW radio show there. I also post updates on Facebook as well. All these are free, and the links to all these are, of course, in the show notes. Celebrations Magazine. Visit celebrationspress.com to subscribe. I can let you know that issue three is at the printers as of when I'm recording this. So if you are a subscriber, look for your issue coming soon. If you want to get back issues like issue two, you can get that right from the website, although issue one is sold out. Over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, visit the shop. There you can get my page-a-day calendar. You can also get the audio guides to Walt Disney World. Still on sale for just $5 for the downloads, $8.99 for the CDs. You can also get signed copies of my books there as well. Big thanks to my sponsors and partners, including Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider, and All-Star Vacation Homes. They still have an exclusive discount on their vacation homes for listeners. Links to those, again, in the show notes. Um, I've been hinting for the past few weeks at a couple of exciting things I have planned, and um, I'm going to hint to them once more. I've been working very, very hard behind the scenes on a number of new projects. I'm very excited about rolling out, so definitely stay tuned. Remember to comment on, talk about the show with others. Please visit the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And as always, if you like the show, please help out by spreading the word. Let others know about it. And of course, thank you to all of you for taking the time and tuning in once again this week. So until next time, remember to always keep moving forward. See ya. Hey, Lou. This is me, John Beal. Um, just wanted to congratulate you on 100 episodes of the WDW uh, radio podcast. I think that is a perfect reason for you to get a I'm celebrating button in 2009 when you're down there in Disney World for the marathon weekend. But you know what? I don't think the celebrating is all yours. I think all us listeners get to celebrate because it was a hundred weeks ago that we began listening to the uh, the WDWR radio uh, podcast. And you know, for most of us, we have now accomplished listening to a hundred podcasts. That's definitely something for us to celebrate. All right. Uh, good job. I want to see another hundred episodes. All right. Bye. Hi, Lou. It's Mike from Massachusetts. Uh, last time I called was to let you know about the Year of a Million Dreams and our Vacation Club membership that we won for 2007. I'm just calling to say thank you and to let you know I, as a listener, appreciate all you do for us uh, Disney fans that are far away from the magic. I especially uh, like the show you just did on the uh, special needs and disabilities. I thought that was great, and I think it was a great informational tool for other people. Uh, I also just wanted to give a heads up to all your listeners. Um, on the Wally Blu-ray, on the bonus disc, there is uh, the Pixar story, which is about an hour and a half story on Pixar and Disney, and it's really, really entertaining, and it, it, it's a great show for anyone that uh, has interest in Pixar and Disney and their partnership. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, keep up the great work, and I look forward to possibly seeing you in May down in uh, Disney. Thanks. Hi, Lou. This is Melissa. I just wanted to call and tell you a couple of things. I listened to your show about special needs. Uh, I think it was from a few days ago, and, and totally agree with the speakers that you had on the show. Uh, we actually have a daughter that's six years old that has multiple and severe food allergies, and we've taken her to Disney since she was two years old, 
just about every year. A few years we've gone twice, and they are absolutely awesome at accommodating special needs. It's the first time that our daughter has ever been able to eat in a restaurant in her whole life is when she went to Disney. She's never been able to eat anywhere else uh, other than at home. So Plus, it gives me a good break because I don't have to uh, cook for her. So they are totally, totally awesome. Uh, we love your show. We actually uh, saw you at Disney, I believe it was last year. My husband went over and introduced himself. So thanks for your show. It's great information. And, again, thanks to Disney for everything that they do for people with special needs. Hey, Lou. This is Ryan from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I just got done listening to your January 25th show on uh, special needs, and I just want to uh, reiterate uh, the importance that Disney does have for um, you know kids or anyone with special needs. Um, we are uh, we attend uh, we go down to uh, Disney quite a bit. We're DVC members, and uh, the reason part of the reason we joined was before our daughter. She has a severe food allergy, and that's one and only place that we can t- uh, actually go for a vac- family vacation that um, they do uh, curtail um, around her needs. So just wanted to reiterate, and uh, thank you, and we love the show. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Gene from Broomfield, Colorado. been listening to your show for over a year now, and finally I got down to Disney World for my very first trip with my family, and uh, we had a great time other than it was uh, – a lot chillier than we had planned and had to buy some hats and gloves while we were there. Um, I probably drove my wife crazy with all the trivia and history that I knew about all the rides. But I did want to call you uh, our very first time on Expedition Everest. Um, we uh, had a delay when we got in the uh, ride for quite a while and uh, they finally let us go, and it got stuck um, right where you view the Yeti pulling apart the track, and uh, we sat there forever, and finally the emergency lights came on, and it was uh, it was actually quite an adventure. I'm an architect, and uh, pretty soon some employees opened up a door in the wall that was, uh, and they were panting because we were 17 stories up, and uh, we got an, an extra tour to go through the inside of the mountain and through the stairway and down through the bottom. And it just, uh, even though uh, I'm sure Disney doesn't like the idea of us, uh, it was it was a highlight of my trip to to be able to see the inside and do things that most people don't. Love the show, and uh, we'll keep listening. Thanks. Disney World's a place where I love to go All the hidden Mickeys I surely know But I live far away, I can't go every day It's a good thing that I have WDW Radio It helps my Disney knowledge grow Hosted by Lou Looking into things with a DSI And the rumor mill gets my hopes held high Memories clearly seen in the Wayback Machine It's a good thing that I have WDW Radio It helps my Disney 